Hello and welcome to Movie Buffs, a show that covers the best films of all time. I'm your host, Shani B. You can find me on all the socials at It's Me, Shani B. And I'm your other host, Cisco from Misfit Minded Media Reviews. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Misfit underscore Minded, on Twitter at Rampage underscore Misfit, and my website at MisfitMinded.com. Today, we're covering a blind spot of mine uh, for the 25th anniversary. We're going to be talking about the 1999 classic cult film, The Boondock Saints, um, written and directed by Troy Duffy, starring Norman Reedus, Sean Patrick Flannery, and Willie Defoe. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's about two Irish Catholic brothers who become vigilantes to wipe out Boston's criminal underworld in the name of God. Um, <laughs> So you have yes. seen this movie before. Um, tell me, tell me about your relationship to it. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty much the same as like most people. You know, it's just like like if someone had seen this in the theatrical run, uh, which was extremely limited, which we'll talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, they're very rare. Most people saw this from you know blockbuster video rental or DVD or uh, Blu-ray um you know mm. which i own so um that's how i saw it just it's it's got like this reputation where like even you hadn't seen it but you know of it you know what i mean and like exactly um so yeah it's it's just got that reputation and so you see it and it's just it's 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 uh it's special it's it's like it's a truly wild uh vulgar like one of one movie um mm. and there's a lot of production like history that's um super interesting with it and i just think as a cultural artifact um it's just fascinating it's just fascinating to like look at 25 years later the fact that it even exists is kind of a miracle um when you think about like everything that Troy Duffy had to go through and um, yeah, I mean, it's, but if you're, you know, if you're an action movie buff, like we're, we'll talk about it, but I feel like this has to be one you, you see, you know, it's just, it's got, they did, they did make a sequel, which is not as good um, from, <laughs> from my memory. I did not revisit it for this, but um, <laughs> I, I mean, they brought the whole cast back, including Rocco, which I don't remember how they, you know, explain that. Um, How'd they do that? I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he was such a fan favorite. They had to bring him back, I guess. And um, there are talks of a third one um, being made as well. So the Boondock Saints legacy is still very much alive uh, 25 <laughs> years later. So uh, I'm curious though what you thought of it since this was your first time. So, what did you? Think? I mean, I <laughs> I thought that there were some clunky-ish parts, but I was for sure a fanny B. It was okay. it's it's too wild not to love. It was so creative. I love that it's set in Boston. I love the Irish accents. Yes. I love uh, the I love the interesting way these guys are portrayed. Sort of, they're totally rough around the edges, but they're also righteous in some sense, which is yeah. kind of fun. Um, yeah, I just think they're such interesting guys for this story to focus on. And I didn't really see the way the events were unfolding. I didn't realize that that like how that was going to look across the story. But I think now that I've had some time to sit with it, 
I I like it a little better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a good time watching this one and was absolutely surprised by a lot that took place yes. in this story. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, yeah, there was a lot to to like about this. Um, but there was also some stuff that made me wonder, like, I don't know a lot about Troy Duffy's career before yeah. after this, how much more you want to have this discussion now because there of is course. I, I, yeah, I want to understand him as a director. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Share with me some of the stuff you learned in the research. Oh, man. So I just um, I had no idea. Like, I was kind of like you. I just knew that, like. You know, this was like a working class guy um, who worked at a bar. And I guess the idea for the film, he was a bouncer. And the idea okay. came when he saw a drug dealer stealing money from a corpse in an alley in the bar he was working at. And so, <laughs> That's cold. And so <laughs> once you realize that, it kind of makes sense uh, a little bit where he yes. was going with this. Um, but I highly recommend. Uh, this is a very rare instance where the documentary about the director Troy Duffy it's on Tubi right now it's called Overnight I, wa nice. I watched it because I was always curious I never had seen it before but I always heard about it. it it was a critically acclaimed documentary that came out I think around the same time of the Boondock Saints and okay it is wild it is like you know it's it's shocking that I guess it's like his friends directed it it wasn't him but the fact okay. that like it exists and he looks as bad as he does in the documentary is what makes it like another like Boondock Saints is already a cultural artifact that I we've talked yeah. about. The documentary is another cultural artifact about Troy Duffy making trying to make it and I mean basically, you know, um, you know, the Boondock Saints is a very you know, offensive film by today's standards. Pretty much every, you know, handicapped people, uh, black people, yeah, Mexicans, nobody is off. women, it's someone is, is going to be targeted in this. And then you meet Troy Duffy in the documentary and this guy is like the most foul-mouthed, uh, drunken um, narcissist that, yes. you know, you would ever, <laughs> you would ever meet from minute one. It's like, it's, you know, it starts off like, you know, this rags to riches story, basically okay. um, Harvey Weinstein, which is a big classic move, which is a big player in the documentary, which is, again, you want to talk about not holding up in <laughs> today, but Harvey, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein is the person that made Boondock Saints happen in a way because he bought the script from Duffy, okay. bought the bar that he worked at it's like it's a sweet in the deal and uh because he has a band he had a band at the time he let the band do the soundtrack for it and so it's like i don't know he what really gave troy everything he wanted huh I, and, and that was my one thing i didn't like like they don't have any of that process like i i want to know how he got harvey Weinstein to get all that and right. over the documentary, though, what is apparent is that Troy Duffy is the maker of his own downfall, basically, because he just makes enemies of every buddy in Hollywood, namely Harvey filmmaker. Weinstein, who at the time ran Hollywood. 
Yes. So by making enemies with him, Harvey Weinstein dropped the movie. No other mm. Hollywood studio wanted to pick it up. He was basically blacklisted. He it did debut at Cannes in 1999. You know, so this is okay. the 25th anniversary. But that is where studios, you know, bid for distribution rights or whatever. And because Harvey Weinstein was the guy back then, mm -hmm. nobody would touch it. And so it was so fascinating because on one hand, I was like, it, it, this is kind of like Boondock Saints too. It's really interesting, you know, where it's like, this is not a great guy. Like, tr truly the way that he's treating his coworkers, his family, mm -hmm. women, mm -hmm. you know, it's not great. But at the same time, like, I feel like he should have been given a shot in Hollywood without Harvey Weinstein putting the hammer down like he did to so many women, you know, which we know yeah. now. So it was really like, like I said, you have to watch it. It's so good. Um, and you you do feel bad for Troy Duffy at the end, even though, um, you know, nothing really worked out for him at the end of the movie, except now, like, it's become a cult classic. He did get to do a sequel and there is like a third one on the way, but uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a journey. It was a journey, just like Boondock Saints is a journey. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it's so interesting that that's the story behind it because it is so fantastical. You know, yeah. it does feel like this story is almost like a dream these men have or something. And I feel like that's kind of like maybe why sometimes filmmakers will become so, so hard to work with because they have this idea in their head. They want it the way they want it. And the reason I'm interested in him is because I feel like this movie, it, it has a cool story. The characters are very interesting, yeah. but it is in the direction that things get clunky for me where like the, I don't love a fade out. I would prefer a cut yeah. over a fade out uh, any day for Lots sure. Of fade outs. Um, a lot of fade outs. Um, a lot of like text on screen that I thought also could have Very just been incorporated into the story. Yeah. yeah, like just little details where I'm like, man, this actually undercuts how good the rest of this is going to be. And a couple of shots in there where I was like, you know, um, when they come through the roof, like accidentally falling yes. through the vents, the way they're I do hanging love from the that. ceiling. I do love that. And the way they yes. set it up, like I feel like the movie needed more of that. So we're like yes. early on, you know, the one, the one brother's like, I want some fucking rope, you know? And like Norman Reedus is like, like Charlie Bronson, you and your fucking rope. Like, when are you going to need a rope? And they're like arguing about it the whole time. And then it comes <laughs> into play. It's like such a huge part of the scene. And at the mm -hmm. end, you know, at the, the button at the end of the scene is like him making fun of him. Like, when will we need rope? Are you serious? Like, <laughs> and like, exactly. Yeah. So like, I feel like if they had more, because, once it gets to like the second half of the film, it does go into like this bizarro, like you said, fantastical element to it, which I don't mind necessarily. Like it's so crazy that it like just becomes another movie, but like a lot of what they set up early on is not paid off. Like in the second half. So. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, just some of the really cool stuff that they were able to accomplish just doesn't have enough coverage for me. You know, like the mm. music cues sometimes were cool, like uh, when he was hearing the love song, uh, when they were hearing the love song while they picked their guns. Mm. I thought that was a really cool way to put music over it. 
But sometimes the music cues, I was like, this is such a weird one. I don't it's coming think out of nowhere. They don't show a lot of their band in the documentary, but my impression is they were not very good. <laughs> I can't imagine and, they were. You know, yeah. from the movie itself, you know, and like that was one of the texts at the end of the documentary that straight up made my jaw drop is like, because so much of it was like them trying to get a record deal and them trying to sell actual physical CDs because this is 1999. And yep. at the end, it shows the printing presses printing off the CDs, and it said they sold 690 copies in the U.S. <laughs> no, only 600. <laughs> 700 copies? Oh, my. And then it was like, That's... and their label dropped them shortly after, and I was like, man, that is uh, fucking rough. I mean, it, it does say that you have to be able to be a kind of player. You have to be collaborative in some way yeah. if you're going to go to the next levels, if you're going to get the best... Uh, for your work and your art and I do feel like I wonder if the characters of the story are all like pieces of uh of him Troy himself you know like are they all different colors of him like or and... something. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like I was like is is when he's really angry or maybe his true feelings are they coming out through Rocco because Rocco is like always flying off the handle yeah, that's the and it. saying that's the, the craziest right shit I mean there is this <laughs> Again, I'm just going off the documentary. There is a conversation early on in the movie between him and his mom where they're kind of arguing um, about capital punishment. And his mom, his mom is like very clearly like, I don't agree. Like I, you know, um, because of a heart and soul kind of argument, you know, and he was coming at it like, well, evil people should die. Like, so I feel like he's definitely on. And that comes through in the movie too. You know, the evil men in the world um, will get a death sentence. And that's what these two brothers are going to deliver, you know, the the same. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's Um, right. They somehow can tell the difference between who does and does does not deserve this. And they, yeah, they do have a righteous kind of a religious like calling to it, which was. I had forgotten about, honestly, like it's very subtle, but like when they're sleeping in the jail and they get woken up like by this lightning bolt and they both like, there's some kind of insinuation that like, there's a divine. Yeah. That they've been chosen to do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which again, I, I've seen this movie only like once or twice. I had completely forgotten that was the case, but I guess that's maybe him trying to cover up, you know, that like, you know, there's something else that's um, pushing them to yeah, do I guess this, like, but I don't know. If you're a vengeful person, yeah. that's also problematic. So if you've been selected for your vengeance to matter and mean something, then maybe you don't have to feel as bad about it. Yeah, I was thinking about The Punisher, um, mm. you know, like, which came out a few years after this, the Thomas Jane one, which is mm-hmm. like sort of in that mold. But like, you know, he's he, there is no supernatural element, you know, to it. It's just like these guys killed my family and I'm going to get revenge on them. And just mm-hmm. in general, that's like the, the Punisher, like ethos, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like the way they kick off their journey in this story is they're just trying to like do something nice for their friends. And also it's like a complete accident. It feels like, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, which I, again, I always forget about too, that it like, it's just a random bar fight that sets off this whole thing into motion. Um, and you don't really see, I mean, they do show like all the action scenes are in flashback, which like, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on, I guess you did a little bit say that it kind of worked for you a little bit better, but all the, all the Tarantino comparisons, I do feel like this is where they're coming from because, um, I guess 
Jackie Brown came out like right before this, but like Pulp Fiction was right before that. So yes. a lot of people's memory of Tarantino is the the time jumping aspect. Yep. And so I do see the comparisons there and just like, you know, the um you know, from the hitman perspective, I guess, which Tarantino loves to do, like there is a couple Things, but do you see that in there? Um, or, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's something I thought the entire way through. I was like, I can feel so many other influences mm-hmm. like on the way this story is being told. And I, I think I get why he chose to do that. But I, I feel like it could have been finessed better. Mm. Like Tarantino is so good at jumping time and knowing how to like layer things so you can do it. And this one just felt like I was waiting for a commercial, but then it was like, there are no commercial breaks on this. Um, <laughs> the fade out is so like commercial. Instead, <laughs> right. It kind of like slowed me down or kind of stopped me rather than like making me feel confused and excited by the time jumping the way that I think in a Tarantino movie, you feel like very floored by the fact that you're like, wait a minute, I think I saw a piece of this. And I did wish it could be more finessed, but you know, like that's a director's quality. And this guy was probably way too close to this story to maybe even think just like a director when he was telling it. Well, I think when people forget about Pulp Fiction too, is it's not like, you know, it doesn't time jump as much as this movie. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, it's just basically the, um, you're getting these different uh, characters, but the, I guess the most time jumpy thing in it is like the John Travolta dying and then at the end, he comes back in another scene because it's from a different character's perspective. So yep. it's like, it's, it's kind of like you're saying, there's more of a finesse there. And, mm-hmm. and so like the surprise factor kind of plays in. And so in this one, when it's, it's just, it's more just like they fade out, don't show the action scene. And then mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe gets there and reenacts it. It is like trying to reenact it. And, yes. and then that's, and like, Sometimes I feel like it gets a little redundant, but then other times I love it. Like, I guess my favorite time they do that is the one where um, Il Duce uh, comes, yes. <laughs> finally comes, and Willem Dafoe is straight up like, like doing this next yes. to the guys, like shooting the guns. And it's just like, man, this is just fun. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it's okay That's if this movie's that... too much for you, but there there are parts where it's like, the ultra violence is the point of it. You know, it is it is the fun of it. For sure. And <laughs> I think that that actually worked really, really well for me because yeah. they were trying to draw the parallel that like a police officer wants the same kind of justice, but has to go about it another way. And so I did think that like him really understanding their minds by seeing the action sequence after the fact as he discovers it was really, really cool, especially when they did some of the reenacting where he was walking with them as they did something yes. or standing with them. Like it's such some of a, that stuff was really cool. It's such a like independent movie move, like where you like, you definitely did this because of like budget, like you couldn't do some like, like visual effects type of way to do it, but it's also mm-hmm. like really effective. Like it still works for me, especially yeah. in that scene. Like, um, and I don't know if you want to have the Willem Dafoe conversation out, but yeah, I absolutely want to have the Willem Dafoe conversation out here looking to steal this movie every chance he got. Yeah. He, to me is like, if I had to recommend this movie to anybody, it would be like, do you like Willem Dafoe? If you say no, I don't, I don't know why I'm talking in the first place. Um, 
<laughs> and uh, say, just see him in this movie because, like you said, this is like you know exhibit A of like someone stealing an entire movie. Like I honestly like the brothers that are the main characters get like second billing to Willem Dafoe. Honestly, like he's walking you through the yeah. action. Um, you know, like, and it's just like, he's making choices. And I feel like, I don't know if that was like in the original script. I haven't read it, but like, um, I just feel like, you know, that kind of was smart that like the most veteran actor we're following mm -hmm. him and what he's doing, we're following his lead. And, yep. um, you know, it's, it's hard to take your eyes off the screen, whatever he's on there. Like it, even the, the, the other cops, I, I love the, the, um, yeah, the way he interacts with them. I love the relationship because, like, they barely, a lot of it's just, like, them reacting to, like, what he's saying or, like, look, giving mm -hmm. each other, like, funny looks or something. Like, yep. who is this guy from the FBI that's coming in um, and making us all look like jackasses? Yeah. Every, every chance he gets. <laughs> but it's so good. Like, but you could tell he's good at his job. And it's just, like, from scene one when he puts the headphones in and starts dancing to the classical music and like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's like, it's not how police work actually is. But like, again, this is an elevated reality. This is a comic mm -hmm. book, you know, reality. So like in that regard, like, I don't know. I, I, I just love him. I love him in this movie. I don't know. Me what too. about you? Yeah. He, <laughs> he is amazing in this movie. Just, just the character that he is assigned is already such an interesting guy, you know, like sort of openly gay, but yes. also homophobic because it's like that time period. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like just doesn't give a shit about working with anyone else is like obsessed with solving this case kind of for himself. And I think that is maybe a parallel that he could pick up on from the director because he gets so unhinged as the story goes on. Yeah. And. Even he has like a crisis of faith at one point when he decides he's going to help the brothers, which I was like, I can't believe that's happening. But OK, like I, I was waiting for them to all come to a head. But instead, he was like, I think they're right. That is another shot, which is like, you know, in the like low budget movie. But like I also it's it's hilarious where it's like an overhead shot of them, you know, like um, in the confession booth. Like, so it's yes. like Willem Dafoe, the priest, and then Rocco with the gun to the priest, and then one of the brothers choking out Rocco. <laughs> it's yep. like such a funny, like, image. Um, that that's another thing that I remember about this movie. But yeah, Willem Dafoe, man, like, he's just one of those actors that's always going to bring 110%. It doesn't matter if he's playing Green Goblin or this ridiculous mm -hmm. FBI agent. Like, he's going to find the layers in it. Like, you know the the crisis of faith like is so good um you know when he uh goes like going know. in disguise to break into uh the big boss's house <laughs> yes. like let's go i uh on my letterbox <laughs> i said um i don't know what serving cut means but i feel like it's willem dafoe in this movie and then yes. somebody commented i don't know someone i don't even follow com yes. commented on it and said that is a perfect definition of serving cut so <laughs> I'm taking their word for it, like that—that's mm -hmm. what that means. Because yeah, he's just—he's bringing it, like, and like you said, there is, you know, a lot of like the homophobia is coming from him, which is again another layer to it, where it's like he's mm -hmm. clearly he's a gay guy, but he, he has these kind of conflicted feelings about it, um, some self hatred, like that—that's yeah. he's that's coming out. Um, some of it played for laughs, you know, which is 
you know, kind of weird. What but, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other but times, but like, I, I feel like there is a whole journey there. Cause like at the end he dresses up in drag and kind of like embraces that kind of sexuality yeah. in a way. So like, I do feel like that's like an, an underrated aspect of this movie for sure. Yeah. He just gets so, he is just so authentic as as this character trying to become this character mm -hmm. and like living in him. And there are like a couple of shots where the look on his face is so powerful. Like when he is trying to seduce one of the guys, but ends up just having to kill him. Yeah. And his reaction to sort of killing someone, not, not necessarily in the same line of self-defense that he would have before, but now sort of like on the same team as the brothers. It's you realistic. Know, like this it's guy deserves like, to die too. He's not mm -hmm. like, you know, smiling and laughing at it. You know, he's like, he even says like, right. I went too far or something. Like he's like muttering to himself, like, okay, not right. too far. I'm in it now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, we could talk about Willem Dafoe. I, I do want to mention that like another just mind blowing thing about the documentary and just how like much juice that Duffy mm -hmm. had at this point um, is like the amount of actors that were in his circle or somewhat rumored to have either read the script or offered a part in this is insane. Okay. Like think of Whoa. every nineties actor like that you can think of that was so like Mark Wahlberg is in the documentary and <laughs> thinking, Amazing. thinking of him as one of the brothers kind of crossed my mind like that, that maybe that could have happened. Um, or maybe even one of the cops, you know, true. Um, Jeff Goldblum. There's pictures of him and Jeff Goldblum. There's pictures of him and Patrick Swayze. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, who we talked about in our Jack Ryan episode. There's a wow. there's a clip in the movie. It's like probably the best clip uh, where he's leaving a voicemail to Kenneth Branagh, and he's drunk and he's clearly drunk, Classic. and he's just like, yeah, you know, call me back. And then he like he hangs up and he's like, cunt. And he's just like, dude, like this guy is like unhinged. And like, guy's wild. So like, mm -hmm. I'm the the um, you know the the idea that people have is that Kenneth Branagh must have heard that and was like, this guy's a psycho. Like, I'm not working with him. Like, yeah, why would I ever put myself in a vulnerable situation for this guy? You uh, know? And the same thing with uh, Ewan McGregor, another Irish uh, actor who is rumored to be involved. And I, the rumor of that one is that. They had a meeting and had a an argument about like corporal punishment or something, some drunken argument. And again, Duffy just like let his mouth do too much. And mm -hmm. Ewan McGregor was like, I'm not I I'm not working with this guy. Like it, it just feels like that's what happens so much. And it's it's that weird, it's that balance of like you need that confidence. Like obviously you're a nobody being put yes. into the top of Hollywood. Like that is insane. And you kind of need some of that, you know, like confidence that comes from nowhere. But then he just you is also too need... much. It's like, dude, yeah. just like scale it, make the movie first before you get like, you know, you're starting to threaten people and like calling out people. Like it just. Exactly. He was he was putting the cart before the horse is what the whole documentary is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think to your point, like that's that is the problem with narcissism. If yeah. you don't have it like in check and your narcissism isn't matching your talent, then you're just kind of an asshole and people don't really want to work with you. But I do feel like some of those directors who are notoriously assholes, the reason people want to work with them is because they can see what they do 
And I do feel like Willem Dafoe is like a classic actor who is down to work with. A I mean, that's a huge get. I still think around the edges. Like mm-hmm. honestly, like they're lucky they even got Willem. And I, I would be curious to. I, I, they don't again. They don't cover a lot of the movie in the documentary, unfortunately, like or that mm. production process. But that would be something I'd be interested in um, hearing why he took the part or like what appealed to him. You know what I mean? Like. It's he does love directors who have a kind of singular vision. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is always showing up for the auteur director who wants to try something extreme, who wants to explore characters in new ways. He's like always on the forefront of like new age filmmaking or something. Yeah. And I feel like he had so much to chew on in this movie. So it, I can see why he would be attracted to it. It just made me laugh because I was like, doesn't he play this exact kind of cop in American Psycho? He's like, Ooh. I was thinking of this too, which is a year after this movie, 2000. So like, that's right. Okay. I was just, like, which one comes first? Yeah. I couldn't remember. Um, So 99, 2000 around the, so that, I mean, he must've been filming it of both of them around the same time, um, which is again, crazy. Too. And they're not even at all like the same note. That's what's so yeah. amazing is like he's still kind of a prick, still looking to push the buttons of Bateman or whatever. Yeah. But in this, Defoe likes to push the buttons of the other cops he's working with uh, more so than the bad guys or, you know, the quote bad guys. I like love, he, uh, he's not interested in poking holes in them, but he can't help but poke holes in all the guys he works with. Yeah, he's clearly not a happy guy. Like, I like, I love his like outbursts when like there's kind of like, um you know holdups in the case and mm-hmm. like you know it, and he just like is like fuck fuck all and he's just like going crazy like these blood samples are useless now <laughs> yeah we're never gonna find them. Yeah. so pissed oh man he's he's great um and like again and reaching all those like he can go from that to like the confessional scene and be believable in both like he's he's a good actor it's true yeah he is so good at creating a dynamic person and i do think that that probably helped make other actors on the set better too i feel like he's one of those actors that inspires other inspires other people and i feel like he was such a good grounding force because even though what he is doing is very fantastical it was in those small looks on his face and those small personal moments where you remember that like it'd be easy to get carried away in this fantasy, but he's not supposed to. That's not supposed to be what he does. And then the and then the sarcasm element. I do want to mention that too, where it's again so good he's at just fucking mouthing off. You know, the guy, when the the uh, Boston cops like symbology, and he was like, "Oh my god, I believe what you meant to say is symbolism, symbolism." Yeah. And he gets so you angry. Idiot. <laughs> it's true. He's so demeaning <laughs> to those guys. Um, but at the same time, he also, it's like he, he creates two notes there too, where like, he's really demeaning to them, but it's because he believes he's trying to to challenge them to be better. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Which I'm sure that's like Duffy's argument for a lot of his behavior as well. Which I do like, (laughs) you know, some, like even the one that like, he keeps like, I'll take, uh, I'll take cream cheese with my bagel and he keeps like making them get coffee for him. And then like the couple times where he gets something right, he's still like, come on, that's ridiculous. Or he's like, what if it's one guy with six guns? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Which is, is correct. We see from the the flat like the flashback, and he's like, come on now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and just brushes yeah, off. Yeah, the the deuce the El Duce guy was pretty was a pretty fun kind of like uh 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 and um 
like fantastical character or something. Definitely he reminded me of book. how in Raising Arizona, there's that guy that he always feels like is pursuing him mm -hmm. uh, on the road. And it reminded me of that same idea of like this guy who doesn't quite seem real, but he is real and he's very scary and nothing seems to put him off or be able to stop him. Yeah, the way and that I they, love the energy of the that. way they film that, like just him in jail, like barefoot, he's chained. It's like very Hannibal Lectory, like yes. Um, mm -hmm. And he was like one of the only, like they show one scene of uh, being filmed in the documentary with Willem Dafoe. But then okay. the the one that and it but it was like very quick and like you know you can't really glean anything from it. But the one I do like is the the actor who plays Il Duce, uh, Billy Colin Colony Connolly. Let's go, Sir Billy mm -hmm. Connolly. Um, he was clearly having a blast too, just like Willem Dafoe. Like, and so mm -hmm. uh, one of the trivia facts I pulled out, which I think is so funny, is that he was so stoked to be playing against type in his role of Il Duce. And he was having so much fun playing a psycho with guns strapped to him and having a large cigar, um, which he, he always has to smoke. Um, yes. And because of this, he couldn't stop smiling, too, because it was, like, always in there. Uh, so and fun. So, yeah. And so just sometimes the, the costuming, too, even something like simple like that can uh, can inform your character because you do see that. Like, every time he's, at, he's got the cigar in his mouth um you know he's clearly having a good time in these shootouts <laughs> well he, he's just like the guys you know he feels like what he's doing is the right thing to do because even he prays and i think i was confused if he was related Ending? to them yeah yeah is he like their dad or something because he they said that the prayer they do is a family prayer yeah. but he knew the prayer that's the implication i guess like either their okay. dad or their uncle or granddad i don't know some um, relative of theirs though I think like they, some person from that is family. one thing i do remember in the sequel that he does come back and i think they explain it a little more so okay you're interested in that again i don't i don't remember the sequel being that great but like i don't know there might be some answers but the story continues yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah he was so great and the, especially that sequence when like all three of them just burst into the courtroom to be like, you have to watch. Yeah. Everyone needs to watch what we're that doing. That was a little much. That was so I was wild. like, dude, like. <laughs> I know, I was like, you're just going to walk out of here yeah. after that? Damn. You want these people to be on your side, you know, like, and you're kind of like to force this person to be traumatized, mm -hmm. see this gangland style murder um, of this Italian guy, which I did love that Italian guy too, which everyone's very stereotypical good. in here. Like, stereotype irish guy stereotype russian stereotype like so yeah he's very stereotype italian but like mm -hmm. i don't know like his voice he's got that very uh very deep bravado yeah. and like you, talking with his hands yep yep <laughs> speaking in italian uh yeah he's just he, he's uh i think he did it that actor too did a good job i think i've seen him and stuff too like um, yeah, they were all good avatars for what they were supposed to represent, which I think sometimes can be hard to do. Uh, but I do think here that's one of the successes. I, I wish there was more character development, but I guess that's part of the lesson that he learned, too, by yeah. wanting to create more of that in the second. Um, but I think the character development that was required was totally met. You know, I didn't need to know too much about this guy to be able to see that he's problematic and to sort of feel like the guys are right in taking him out. Because um, I, I guess like they never tried to take over his business. I was like maybe waiting for them to have a kind of moment where they could 
amplify themselves, not just be these unsung heroes. Yeah. And that never happened. So I actually thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think there was like a couple of missed opportunities where like there's some money involved and it's like they never really deal with like, you know, do we donate to the church or to like the needy, mm-hmm. like some Robin Hood things like that they could have yeah. done with it. Like uh, that could have been like an opportunity for that. Or like, you know, they do have the one scene with Willem Dafoe in the church and when he's like hung over. But like, I feel like that could be another angle where like he's very like hard on criminals and and like believes in uh the system and then like through investigating the stuff and the brothers he kind of like gets convinced otherwise or so you know what i mean like yeah because it seemed like he, he sees was, their perspective he seemed like he was pretty cool from the beginning like he, you know I mean? it was hard for me to like root against him from the, it, 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 he is kind of like supposed to be hunting them down but like i don't know but they're also supposed to be the same kind of guy it's just that like he he was sort of like i make these guys pay too i just use the law but but he also understands the limitations of the law that like some of the worst people they just get out because of how the law is flawed in some ways yeah and i do feel like that is like why his character decides to kind of help but then also has to go through the journey of recognizing like what is too far and you know making everybody watch an assassination in the court is too far it's too far yeah that's what i'm saying it's like he wants to he clearly wants to make a point about that but it just gets lost in the like you could tell he's like all right now this is the sweet action scene like he's clearly (laughs) more hyped about filming that stuff than any sort of like larger point and so like he'll throw in a line like where in the courtroom the journalists are like oh this guy's like john god he's so charismatic he's gonna get off or whatever yeah. or like in the credit mm-hmm. the end credits when it's like interviewing the like local people they're like what do you think about the saints no comment no comment <laughs> yeah yeah i think what they're doing is right <laughs> was that a did you see anything in the documentary about like if that was also scripted it it sort of felt like they yeah they just it sort asked. of felt like they were improving that or yeah. just asking people to 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 pretend like they knew about it like that was a really interesting addition to yeah, telling this story. That's what I'm saying. It's like he clearly wanted you to like leave thinking of that. Like, if the saints were real, where would you stand on this? You know. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that is the cool idea. Like this, yeah. what we can take away from him is that this is an interesting idea, and it's a kind of idea that like you and I cover all the time in action movies. Yeah. It's just to your point, we cover it in a much more straightforward way, where you know there was this incident, and now we're getting payback for this incident. And this is a unique story and then it's sort of like, well, what if you were angry at like everybody, mm-hmm. you know, like any person you felt like was slighting people? What if you really wanted to be the the judge and jury for yourself? But I guess you were like these guys where weirdly, <laughs> like, I don't know what to make of their of them knowing like who they should and shouldn't take out because it does sort of feel like that's one of the kind of just doing it i think yeah for like the the bar that they like to go to the guy that they the dude with tourette's the sweet dude with tourette's whose bar they like to hang out at like it feels more like they're like i want to do it for him for this guy who's just trying to have a business where we can all go it doesn't really feel like they're trying to clean the streets if that makes sense yeah i mean like i I guess like this archetype like you said is like been done in a million different things like batman you know Mm. like the most popular superhero this is his whole thing it's like i'm cleaning up the streets but he doesn't kill like he has a strict no kill some some iterations of the comic he does but like the most famous ones he doesn't kill 
because that's right. a step too far. And so it's like, it is kind of hard to get over that where it's like, they have no qualms about killing people. Um, and you know, like, yeah. like you said, like how they choose, they're taking Rocco's word for it. But as we know, Rocco's not the most trustworthy guy or responsible guy. So it's like, no. it kind no. of like, ah, I don't know. It's like this weird, you know, feeling you get of like, I never am like a hundred percent fully on, like I see where they're coming from, but it's hard for me to straight up um, root for these guys or identify with them. And so that's why when I revisit this, I am kind of behind Defoe and what he's doing. And yes. I also put that in my letterbox review that like, if there is a third one, I just want it to be Defoe and Drag um, undercover investigating murders yes. and stuff. Cleaning up the vice yeah. crowd, right? Because that would, <laughs> to me, that's the more interesting story instead of like the religious, you know, um, wrath of God, Old Type Testament thing. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I guess like there's that that comes into play too, like feeling like you you have to play this role to do good because no one else will like feeling like you need to step up and do good. I feel like is another common one. And honestly, like one of the reasons I never caught this back in the day is because most of the people that told me it was really good were dudes I never wanted to talk to whose opinion yeah. I didn't care about. It is, a, and, like, <laughs> and just to be clear, if someone tells you this is their favorite movie, that is a red flag and you should run the opposite direction probably. You should. <laughs> yes, you should. Yep. Yep. As much as we can recommend this, that is also true. Two things can be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly it, is it? Like the people who rode for it back in the day, I was like, I just don't know that I can trust your judgment. So I'm probably not going to go for it. But now having seen it, I'm sort of like, well, now I know even more like why those types of guys uh, associate with this, because they do want to see themselves as like maybe having the ability to be bumbling dudes that still kill everybody. Because I think that's a fun detail here. Is it like they're always kind of bumbling, oh, but yeah. they still get away I mean, with they it somehow. They sleep on mattresses on the floor. Their apartment is like barely an apartment. It's, it's like an abandoned building. <laughs> right. I was going to say, like, is, is that even a real building that they're staying in? They, they, the cops determine it is not a real complex or whatever and then mm -hmm. some of the only characterization you get early on is they work in this meat plant and you know yes, they're like yes. training this new woman and they straight up get into a fight with her and punch her in the face right the and face. it's like that is a choice for you and to it's like over the credits yes it's over the credits. and so it's like these are supposed to be the good guys <laughs> It's, right it's it's kind of like this movie's insane like there's so much we haven't talked about yet that like is in this and mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah. what are some of the sequences that that you really like you know like when you think about this movie or i guess when you were thinking about rewatching it was there something you were looking forward to seeing again i uh it's it's two two sequences i guess it's uh defoe and drag which is pretty short but it's just but so iconic and like mm -hmm. just I cannot believe that it's in this movie. <laughs> it's true. And, and I mean, he looks amazing. He, and it's so and he's so good at it. Like he is like a hundred again, he's a hundred percent invested in doing this character. And like mm -hmm. it's so amazing to watch uh him him dedicate himself like that. And then um the other one is like falling through the ceiling, like 360 um you on the know ropes on the ropes with the silencers and uh it's true they do make silencers look very cool very cool um you know something that like tarantino's not really interested in in his movies like he's mm -hmm. it's all just 
you know, we don't care it's about okay being subtle. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I do like that aspect of it where it's like, and then, you know, Defoe mentions it like in the investigating, like we know it's a silencer because of the burn marks and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I do like how it's incorporated into the story. So I would say those two, and then maybe even like the El Duce, um, when he first arrives, yeah. like that's pretty sick. Even though like I do have problems with, like you said, like the way that that's staged, like they're just standing very still, you know, like shooting at this guy. And it's just like, you guys are pretty easy targets. Like you're, you're not even trying to avoid this guy's got like, so I would say probably as far as action scene that I, like, I think of though, is the coming from the stealing, uh, 360s shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's probably the best one by far for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I will say I like the gravitas of throwing the toilet from the roof and somehow That's, also jumping yeah. from the roof. I had forgotten about that scene. Like I was like, what is the bandages again? I, I did not remember. And then they do a full, another flashback, you know, yep. before to to where, you know, they're <laughs> they fight these Russian guys. Um Dude, and they and they set that guy on fire. Yeah. On the Holy bar. Holy shit. Like again, these guys pretty sick. You know what I mean? Like pretty. They're pretty psychotic. Even, yeah. Like I, I guess I get it. Like they're trying to like say that because it's religious, it's like they get a pass. But it's like yeah, it's. <laughs> I feel like sadistic. some of the best, some of the greatest psychopaths of all time have tried religious. to use religion. Yes, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it really fits in that way too. Um, I think I love that scene when they're all when they're over at Rocco's and they're like talking about what's going on, and Rocco like slams his head oh, on the table and gosh. kills the cat by accident. <laughs> that was one of the best surprises of this movie <laughs> to the point where when that, when that happened and they were like, Jesus. And then he's like, is it okay? <laughs> it's, it's got a very dark sense of humor, this movie. And so like, it really does. You know, when the, when the girlfriend comes back too, which like, we weren't sure if she was going to, he says like, she barely, he won't even come. And then she yeah, comes, he talks about her and she's like, where's the cat? And they get into this huge argument and like, oh man, he just like lays into her. Like, I can't even get a pack of smokes without running into nine guys. You fucked <laughs> Yeah, and then when he's like, if you could remember the, the name, name of, of this cat, cat I'll it, kill myself. Yeah, and she can't. Or, like, she nope. takes her a while. She's like, uh, uh, Skittles or whatever. Like, and just. <laughs> yeah, like, we, we only get a little glimpse of some of these characters, but it's kind of enough. Because even though, like, Rocco's really over the top, I do feel like he's such a one-of-a-kind uh, character and, like, one-of-a-kind actor I feel like the only like the only well-known actor I can think of that would have been really funny doing all the things he did is like an Eric Roberts or something, mm. you know, like someone who is is truly you know who's in the documentary who I just now was thinking Jake Busey mm. was in the documentary. He could have yeah. also played that. Exactly. <laughs> yep. There is the there is the total uh, hot hothead that we're looking for. Because it just feels like he's going to explode, like, at all times. He's I will just say, so... though, this time, I didn't, I don't think I ever made this connection, but, like, the name Rocco, which is a dog in my family, his haircut, cool. his haircut, mm-hmm. and just how hairy he is, he is, like, their dog. So he is their pet. You know what he I mean? Is. And so, like, and so, yeah. it kind of, like, you know, I don't know if this is, like, excusing his behavior necessarily, but, like, if you think about through that lens... He's like super horny all the time. He says whatever on his mind. He's yes. not the smartest person. Um, they have to train him 
to be a killer. Like, yep. it kind of makes sense. It kind of, like, fits, in my opinion. Like, and then he hates cats. It's like, he's, yep. he's their dog, Rocco. It, it all fits. <laughs> yeah. It all tracks perfectly. Yeah. And, yeah, that that is exactly it. I feel like he thinks that they're the closest to respecting him, uh, even though even they kind of keep him at a distance. But I, I do feel like they have an interesting kind of friendship with him where Definitely. they're trying to, they also want to help him. Like, when he's got set up, uh, coming in with the six shooter and they like really won't let go of how they had to have been setting you up to be killed because you didn't have enough bullets to kill everybody in the room even yeah. and how he like really doesn't want that to be the truth like no. he doesn't want to believe that that's how people are treating him yeah he does get some cool action scenes too that we haven't mentioned but like you know that's in true. the um you know peep show room when he's doing oh, the, the peep the show double. sequence <laughs> The double guns, and then like when he goes into the restaurant and shoots the guy through his trench coat. Hell, um, yeah. That was another thing we haven't mentioned yet. I know we're running out of time, but um, another also the Ron Jeremy cameo. Ron Jeremy, uh, that's here. You haven't mentioned either. What the fuck? <laughs> random. This movie's so random. Uh, so random. But an- another problem this movie had was um, Columbine happened around the same time as well. And so violence in movies, that might be another factor why studios weren't trying to pick this up at the time as well. So (laughs) do you think that this one in particular is probably worse than The Matrix? I know The Matrix got like a lot of flack for the Columbine stuff. Yeah. But but this one in particular is so much closer to like this idea of like two self-righteous people who are going to make people they think need to pay pay. And that's definitely not the message we want to be sending. you know, especially uh, that restaurant scene youth. like that's why i don't pick it because it's like it just seems like these are two people that are kind of laughing at him and mm-hmm. it's just like all right now you guys have to die for laughing at me and then the old guy at the bar and it's like you're not even sure like what this guy did like it's just nope so that yeah that scene always rubbed me the wrong way too <laughs> it's true i mean i love the idea of shooting someone through the coat like what it a looks cool, cool. creative and execution the whole movie has um, that problem where it's yes. like i don't know if i'm behind it but it's in slow-mo and everything looks cool in slow-mo pretty much <laughs> yeah, the visual execution i will take for yeah. sure um but yeah i feel like that's the that's what i think the most about in in the aftermath of having seen this movie is i like some of the execution i like the creativity but I do trip on the story and whether or not I like think think it's a good enough one or a worthwhile one. And I guess I do have to try to see what's up with the second. I would be curious to see how he watch tries the documentary to the first. World. That again, yeah. The documentary is like low key better than the movie. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I gotta see it just because I love watching documentaries about movies made back then. I feel like it was a whole different process for making a movie and a lot of it was schmoozing people and trying to get people to agree to do things for you and that's that sounds exactly like what this guy was hoping he could manipulate yeah. uh, like working with Weinstein and all these other people but but you know like the power players they did whatever they wanted back then it's kind of funny too like the reading for my class this week has kind of applies to this where it's kind of talking about the difference between auteurism which is like a very popular theory versus like looking at the time it was made, you know what I mean? Which Mm. auteurism kind of ignores in a way. And so like, I do think like in a way you do have to look at the time period because it's like, why would Harvey Weinstein give this guy all this power? And then you look at the nineties and it was like the Sundance era where all these first time filmmakers like Richard Linklater and Steven Soderbergh Mm -hmm. and Quentin Tarantino were getting popular off of their independent Sundance movies and, mm-hmm. and so people were looking for that next Tarantino, that next person. 
So it, yep. in that context, he might not be the strongest off tour, but the fact that like, you know, maybe it was like there was a gamble that they were willing to take until Troy Duffy started talking shit to them and yeah. ruining <laughs> until it. Until his personality <laughs> yeah. took over. Yeah, so, that, that's a good point too. The yeah. 90s are full of hyper-violent mm -hmm. movies. And I do feel like, you know, if you had a creative way to execute something really violent, then people wanted to work with you. And that, to your point about like an auteur, there are some auteurs who always want to do things that are hyper-violent. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm wondering, like, is that who Troy Duffy would have been? Or is he is he more of like a charismatic personality that was going to get mm -hmm. these films made? And we would always be doing what you and I are doing and like talking about what happened behind the yeah. scenes, not necessarily what was on camera. It is funny if you just see pictures of him, too. Like, it's just he is wearing a trench coat and those shades and smoking all the time. And it's like. <laughs> So clearly this guy thinks these are like the most badass characters of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the, that whole trench coat like uh, situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that makes me think, too. I, I almost wish a story like this was directed by, like, Robert Rodriguez, for example, because I yes. love the way he amplifies things. And I love how he how he does figure out how to put comedy into hyperviolence to make sure that it's just the right amount of absurd so nobody gets too much of the wrong idea. And I feel like the parts of the story that I really wanted to be more elevated, maybe a literal auteur or like a more seasoned director would have done better with. Definitely. I also just want to shout out uh, Willem Dafoe on top of dressing in drag and making fun of Bostonians. Um, also line dances on the couch in that one scene and it, it cracks me up every single time. <laughs> It makes Stellar. me makes me want to line dance. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he is God. one of the greatest of all time. I he truly him. is. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Before we get out of here, what was your favorite kill? Um. Gosh. Why don't I don't know? Why don't you go? I, I got to think. This is a hard one. I think for me, my favorite is going to end up being the through the coat situation. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I I thought that everything was just going to be pretty ham fisted, uh, especially with Rocco's character. So for him to have this like very momentary like moment of doing something kind of cool, I liked. But pretty much all the kills are great because they're yeah. just so insane. Lots of good squibs. Ugh, yeah. Give me those squibs. <laughs> I think... Uh because we already mentioned a lot of the big ones i did like the one where um they're breaking up that poker game and the guy gets shot he's holding the scotch bottle and he gets shot through the bottle yes <laughs> um that one was like one i noted in particular that was pretty cool like visually because like again visually he's got some style you know what i mean like you he can't does. deny that troy duffy um you know as, as much as his script is like a lot you know, visually that you could see him potentially being an auteur director, but yeah, I mean, you got to be someone that's an underrated part of what they don't mention with auteurism. You got to be someone that people want to work with. Tarantino talks a lot, you know, notoriously, but also because he loves film and he, he, he is known to work with his actors and um, explain his process in a way that's not just like, swearing at them and like offending them and making fun of yeah, like demanding yeah mm -hmm. so yeah. it's true like knowing how to get a good performance out of an actor it, that's the the unspoken skill that directors have and yeah. yeah i think sometimes sometimes you get the right group around you like 
I think Defoe will show up for any Anybody. director with a vision. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if there's a vision, Defoe's like, it's cool. I'll be in my trailer, like working on my character. True professional. So you're not going to bother me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this was a, this was a fun one to watch a good blind spot to cover. I, I wasn't was sure because curious. if you went either way, I, this is one I would have understood either way. If you went, it's controversial oh, in yeah. that, in that way. But I think as a buff, I, I'm a fan. I agree. I think there is really good creative imagery here. There's clearly like a vision that's happening. Mm -hmm. I just think it's like we talk about time and time again, executing things perfectly really requires collaboration. It's a product of the time. It's a, you know, yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? Well, I guess, awesome. yeah, that, yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. Let's remind the people where they can find us. Get your fix and follow the show at We Stay Buff on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and on Twitch at The Buffs. Follow me at Misfit underscore Minded on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, on Twitter at Rampage underscore Misfit, and my website, MisfitMinded.com. Take us for a ride and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And please leave a review. Five stars would be the dream. Um, you can also follow me on all the socials at It's Me, Shani B. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time for another edition of Movie Buffs. Stay buff.